Let's go ranking now, everybody's going now. Come on, rank the Beatles with me. Come on, rank the Beatles with me. Oh, <laughs> you took that way too I far. I went into the Michael on voice. Sorry. <laughs> 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 and everybody has turned the show off now. Oh. For those of you who have stayed, though, welcome to Ranking the Beatles. Uh, I am your host, Jonathan. Over here on my left, maybe she's on your right, or maybe she's in the middle, depending on what you're listening on, is my beautiful partner in crime, Julia. How are you today, my dear? I'm all right. Yeah? How are things? Good? Uh, Good week, hopefully? Okay. It's, yeah? It's, I mean, it's just begun, so... It's only we'll just begun to rank <sighs> no, oh, white lace and promises. We, I was not... I was not promised a twofer. Mm. Well, <laughs> got a little carpenter there for you. <laughs> little bonus Jonas this week on Ranking the Beatles. Yes. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Hope you're all uh, doing well. It's been a, uh, another good week here at Ranking the Beatles uh, headquarters. We've got a really fun show today. Super duper excited about it. Julia, are you super duper excited? Always. On a scale of super to super duper, are you at super duper? Um, maybe a super duper duper. Oh, I like it. <laughs> I do like it. Well, that is good to hear because we got a really good show. We do. I think we should just get into the into the business of the show this week. No more actually malarkey. I got a second for some malarkey oh. before we get going. Okay, uh, friends, if you uh, are relatively new to ranking the Beatles land, uh, recently in the last few weeks we got a brand new website. Did you know that? Do, 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 do. What's the website? RankingTheBeatles.com. You you don't say. <laughs> and uh, may I just say, first of all, this beautiful website is where you can track down all things Ranking the Beatles. It was built by the lovely Miss Julia, who has now added web designer to her uh, uh, res- her CV, her resume, her uh, her back pocket of skills. Hi, I made a website. She made a website. <laughs> And it doesn't suck as far as websites go. It's fine. It's a pretty good website. Um, all of our episodes are there. All the links for all of our socials are there. Uh, there's a little link for a uh, shop that we'll have something coming to soon. Um, a little little fun thing we're, we're toying with. You can buy us a coffee. Yeah, if you're into what we're doing and you enjoy it and you want to throw us a little, uh, a little change in the bucket, there's a little cup of coffee on the bottom uh, corner. You can click on that. And throw some change into that little uh, tip jar. For those of you that don't know me in real life, I am the sleepiest person. This is her on four cups of coffee. You'll ever right meet. Yeah. <laughs> I need lots of coffee to make it through life. That's <laughs> to really, live. Yeah, yeah. 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 So uh, if you're enjoying what we're doing and you want to support the cause and uh, you know help us cover things like website hosting, uh the annual fee to make our podcast go and uh, keep up equipment, replace uh, broken microphone cables, which happens all the time because um, these mic for mic cables are crappy and old. So uh, yeah, all the uh, any little bit of change that you can uh, you can spare goes to those kind of expenses. So if you uh, if you have some, feel free to send it our way. So let's get into it. What we got happening today? Shall I tell you? Would you like to know? Yes, please. All right, I'll tell you. 
I'm okay, so excited. Then. I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> y'all, super excited about this. Our guest today is the music and culture critic at Salon and the host of the Everything Fab Four podcast. He's a Beatles author who's written a number of books on the band, including Solid State, The Story of Abbey Road and the End of the Beatles, and John Lennon, 1980, The Last Days in the Life. He's also co-author uh, with Jason Krupa, uh, who hosts the fantastic Producing the Beatles podcast of the upcoming book, All Things Must Pass, Harrison Clapton and Other Assorted Love Songs. I think our our guest website lists like 15 books he's written or been involved with just on the Beatles alone, plus 22 nonfiction books I counted and four novels. That's a lot of writing. I've never, I haven't read that many books. <laughs> yes, you have. I, that's, that's true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's also the professor of English and popular music at Monmouth University when he's not writing all the books in the world. Uh, his Beatles books are included in the permanent collection at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's library archives. That means he's like smart. That means he knows. And they're good. Yes. Because they're not just like, oh, here's a book about music. Let us put it into the archives. No. The Beatles they're were actually, a band from Liverpool. <laughs> they're actually reading it and measuring it against other books and saying, like, this one should be in. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. So my uh, my suggestion is pick up some of these books, do yourselves a favor, and dive in and get to know uh, a whole lot more about the story of the Fab Four than you thought you knew. So... Without any further ado, let's dive in to our interview this week. Friends, please welcome to the show, Mr. Ken Womack. Ken, welcome to Ranking the Beatles, my friend. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's great to see you. Likewise, man. Uh, a fan of, uh, of your work, uh, both uh, podcast-wise, book-wise, research-wise. It's always um, kind of humbling to meet somebody who's uh, contributed as much to the, uh, the legacy of Beatle fandom and research as as you have so thanks for being here we're honored to have you my friend well it's uh it's great to be with you guys too and um this is uh you know frankly one of the most thought-provoking shows there is so <laughs> thank you um, i pre prepare to provoke oh yes <laughs> we love provocation here on ranking the beatles <laughs> we pride ourselves on it in fact amazing <laughs> um so you know as we start every show uh how have you been how's the last strange year been obviously you've uh You've still kept busy and uh, and you've put out some books, so you, it doesn't appear that you've slowed down too much. No, it's um, it's been a really productive year. Um, I say this obviously with an asterisk, recognizing that a lot of folks have had a just a tough time, a terrible time for sure. Um, I'm very fortunate to work uh, at a um, at a healthy uh, university. Um, and to be able to, to work with students and other faculty. And in, in our particular industry, of course, it's been easy to go remote. Um, nobody wants it to be permanent, of course, because so much of the great creative interaction in the classroom, as you guys know, happens face to face. But mm -hmm. uh, I feel really fortunate. But um, because of, of this fortunate position, I've been able to do a lot of writing and a lot of thinking and uh, it's really been a, a special time, and I say that again very guardedly, knowing that it's been a tough time for for more people than not. For sure. And so you just put out uh, it was end of 2020, the John Lennon 1980, the last days in the life. Was that end of 2020? You put that out. Is that, am I correct? In yeah, that? it came out in September. Nice. And uh, and how? I guess what made you want to dive into 
1980 for John specifically? What brought you to that in your timeline of, of everything you've done so far with all, all the books you've written? I'm increasingly interested in uh, narrative as, well, what it is by definition, which is storytelling, and trying to, uh, using all of the amazing resources available to us, and there are many, and, and, and I know you know this well, trying to create a kind of engaging story where you can feel yourself in that place and time which is one of the great challenges of this craft anyway, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, uh, I was in it, but I was very young, um, and I wanted to recreate New York, uh, which is not remotely the same place other than it's the same place on a map. Right. It doesn't look the same. You know, there are wonderful websites where you can go up and down the streets of the Upper West Side and look at the storefronts. They don't look the same today, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, it is a different place with a less of the neighborhood feel that it once sported so powerfully. And I wanted to try to get back into that space uh, with John Lennon when he's getting, getting excited about making this, what would turn out to be the last record. Yeah. But I wanted it to be from his perspective. So if he didn't see it or hear it, it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. You know, so it, it was kind of a nice device to have. But I uh, I think with at least with the projects I'd like to do moving forward, I want to help people feel like they're in that space because these spaces are gone to us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and of course, along the way, if you can find a, a means for bringing the music to life so that someone wants to put the book down and open up their you know, iTunes or Spotify or what have you and, and start listening to the songs, then. Mm -hmm better yet yeah for sure mm. did, did you i guess what were kind of the, the uh the any surprising things that you learned in in working on this book anything that kind of blew your mind a little bit um not really because i've been thinking about it for so long you know with each new release of one book or another you know you would find nuggets here and nuggets there but they would never be in one place mm -hmm. and i wanted to be in one place where this story unfolded because it's a great story you know it's the story of a guy getting up off the deck and making something happen um it's a great story frankly uh, i know that there are detractors on this side but i think it's a great story about john and yoko mm -hmm. working together whatever their relationship was yeah uh, and, and we'll never really know but whatever it was it was one where they were mutually supportive and mm -hmm. it's really cool to spend time with them and realize that you know they're out here rolling the dice and taking this risk mm -hmm. you know in a very different kind of musical scene than they'd left in 1975 and obviously one that's very different from today yeah for mm -hmm. sure for sure uh and you've you've written i think upwards of what i saw on your website was i think about 15 beatles books is that correct it's or you've been involved in, there, sure. in 15 at least. And, uh, and at the <laughs> I'm often involved. Right. And, and so at the same time, I guess you're also working on All Things Must Pass with Jason Krupa, which is coming out shortly. How do you navigate juggling multiple books like this at the same time? Because that's mind-boggling to me that you can do that. Oh, I'm, I'm extremely organized. Uh, I have a number of list programs and calendars, and uh, I build files. Uh, some of this I learned from Mark Lewison several years ago. He was giving me a sense of how he was able to keep track of so much information. Mm -hmm. And often it's information you don't know that you're going to use mm -hmm. necessarily for a while. And um, 
I started getting a sense of how to digitize things so that they would be at the ready and I would be able to access them. And then hopefully, uh, and this often happens, I think it happens almost every time, you'll run into something in that, that file structure, that file tree structure, and you'll say, wait a second, this brings a whole new accent to this. This is really cool. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's also a way of organizing, you know, on any Beatles subject, right? There are just dozens and dozens and dozens of, uh, of new material out there um, and old material that you need to keep track of, mm -hmm. you know, because, you, you know, for example, you can't talk about all things must pass um, and Layla without talking about um, the extraordinary work of Ashley Kahn who has written uh, widely on George Harrison and has been responsible for some of the only secondary sources we have on Layla. So, you know, you want to make sure you're, you're giving him, showing him the love because mm. he did that research. Yeah. Right. So I want to make sure he's heavily involved in that bibliography. What do you think it is that keeps you coming to the well for the Beatles for so long after, after digging so deep on so many topics within the band, what keeps you coming back? What do you feel like your end goal is? Which I, maybe that's kind of a really broad question. <laughs> What's your end game here, Ken? <laughs> I don't know. This is uh, I, I perhaps you know we could uh, I could pay you. Um, you know, do you take Zell or whatever, uh, and you could help me psychologically? I don't know what that is. Um, I'm I'm in love with their story, um, and I. I guess I get to renew this every fall when I teach the Beatles uh, Monday nights, Monmouth University seats are going fast. Nice. Uh, are there online, so, are there online seats available? There are, there were last year, but right now, um, you know, we're, we're intending to be in person, but um, you know, when you spend time with, with them in a 14 week course, you're going from the beginning to the end in a fairly short period of time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it still amazes me every time the way they're able to, you know, go from zero to 60 and walk off that stage forever. It's a, it's an amazing narrative. And uh, I, I don't, I know I will never stop being uh, simply staggered by, by that artistic growth, you know, from Love Me Do to Abbey Road. And um, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm happy to talk about that anytime and it, it uh, because it's inspiring for sure. Um, you know, uh, so I don't know what the end game looks like. I, I think I'm in my head. I'm sort of getting to the end of some of the topics I want to deal with. Um, Jason and I are kicking around some other ideas. Uh, and I, I do have one big project that's threatening to overwhelm me. But after that, I don't know. I, I um, I'm not sure I would want to turn to another band. I don't know if they're worthy of our attention in the same way. Yeah. Mm. For sure. Well, this, I guess, is a great way to, to, to turn to this. What's the origin story for you? How do you first land upon the Beatles? When do they first enter your world? Well, it, as usual, it's my parents' fault, you know. And again, <laughs> I'll, I'll send you guys money later, maybe Venmo. <laughs> but, um, or PayPal. You know, PayPal, they got that Cash thing, App, and, you know, yeah. whatever works. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, um, I was 11 years old, which would have been 1977. And um, uh, I watched this terrible show. I, in fact, I think, no, we had left New Orleans by then. I lived in Houston. And uh, Were you born here everybody... in New Orleans? No, no. We lived there for three years in the early okay. 1970s. My father was in oil and gas. Ah. 
<laughs> Once you said you went to Houston, I was like, I bet they were in oil and gas. <laughs> yeah, we're a Shell family. There you, you go. Know, it's, Shell or Ex- it's Shell or Exxon. Still we're is. a Shell family. And um, anyway, my favorite show was the New Zoo Review, which was a, a goofy thing that is not held up. Um, and uh, one day it was um, it was scrapped. It went on hiatus permanently. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you're that age, that's part of your routine. I was pissed off. You know, here's my, where's my show. Yeah, this is this gets me from seven to seven thirty. Brush my teeth, you know, go to school. <laughs> I need was, my stories. Uh, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, about Freddie the Frog and Henrietta Hippo and all this live action silliness. Anyway, um, I guess the Houston affiliate uh, when when the news we review went off the air went right to the cartoons, and so. You know, suddenly I'm watching the Beatles cartoons from 1965, mm-hmm. and uh, which you know, there is a kind of corny love one can have for them. But you know, at a certain level, they are terrible. Oh yeah. Um, you know, because they're not their voices. The stories are um, beyond silly. But it, that's not what mattered to me. What mattered to me was the music was incredible. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard it before, and uh, I I was instantly thinking, where has this been? You know, when you're 11, at least back in those days, you'd try to connect with Top 40 radio. Um, And there was a lot of great music, of course, in the 70s. But I just hadn't made those some of those connections yet. And this was this suddenly spoke to me. Yeah. You know, and my parents being um, uh, scholarly, I guess, you know, when I said I wanted to learn more about them, my father, who worked downtown Houston, went to the Beatles shelf, which is a joke compared to now. I think it was, <laughs> you know, this wide and he pulled all the books off. I think most of them were by uh, uh, well, what uh, Castleman and uh, my good pal. I'm suddenly blanking on his name. I feel terrible now. <laughs> we can um, you'll have to edit this later. Yeah. Sure. Who is it? It's not uh, uh, Walter Podrajic and okay. Harry Castleman. There, so edit that. Walter Podrajic and Harry Castleman. I think they had two of the of the books. There was uh, Tony Tyler and Roy Carr, and of course Nicholas Schaffner. Um, you know, and uh, I approached them literally from day one, like this kind of scholar. Mm-hmm. And my parents bought me a record. Probably in that first few days, they went to our friend Target, <laughs> and uh, they purchased uh, a German release called Beatles Greatest which was, you know, not related to anything official that you would find, um, you know, in the UK or the US catalog. It just happened to be there at Target. And that was my, the first record I owned, my entree into into Beatledom. And I think they got me the Blue Album next mm-hmm. on cassette. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, which was with my budding OCD, I thought, oh my God, now I've got the record and now I've got the cassette. <laughs> is not working you know and they look so old over here and they look so young on the cover of beatles greatest it was just uh uh probably the beginning of something very bad but um (laughs) but but in another sense you know it it meant that immediately i was reading and thinking about them Mm -hmm. you know i've never been fanish until that way i mean a lot of junk behind me you can see but you know, you just can't help gathering some of that yeah. uh, in your life, um, at least in my life. <laughs> but, uh, you know, beyond that, I've always been a thinker about them. And um, 
you know, I still cannot get over what I said a moment ago, which is how is the same band, you know, doing happiness is a warm gun that did, you know, love me do. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing like that in art in six years. Yeah. Five years in that case, which yeah, I mean, James, (laughs) yeah. Five years. Let's call it James Joyce. Doesn't do that. Shakespeare is never that. He's too uneven for that. Mm -hmm. You know, he's writing for the stage. So he's not thinking about that kind of artistic reach, but, or at least from what we know, right. Uh, you know, it's, it's really unique. And I think it's an inspiring story. It's, it's none of the other reasons I love teaching the Beatles is it, it helps students think about just how damn hard these guys worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't some cakewalk. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is a frontier. Most folks don't want to traverse. It means you've got to go to Hamburg. Uh, you know, it means you've got to, um, give up a lot of yourself uh, where other people are not roughing it anymore and getting real jobs and eating, you know, real food. Right. (laughs) Uh, They're out there in a sense, like the artists, you know, nearby here in the city struggling to become painters or what have you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just like hustling from like show to studio and spending like all day in the studio and like the output of the number of albums and then the touring and then coming back from touring and going right back into the studio, like not very much time for a personal life. It's actually kind of amazing that they managed to find partners that were <laughs> I, I assume that you've uh, you've watched the McCartney three two one special that just came out. I did. I reviewed it for Salon, so I watched it. I guess a couple weeks ago. I uh, I only got to watch the first two episodes um, so far, and there's a, a a brief bit that I, I you know I found so fascinating where uh, where Rick Rubin asked Paul, uh, you know, they're talking about the amount of output. And Rick says, what was it? You know, one album per year. And Paul says, yeah, one album per year and four singles. And even when you think about that amount of work, which is a ton of work, he's wrong because it was two <laughs> albums per year. And I'm like, you forgot more than you remember. <laughs> like, holy shit. But when but you he's, think he's it's forgetting things that, all over that show. Yeah. yeah. And when you think it's double the amount of work that's just blown Rick Rubin's mind, like, and we've talked about this on a few other episodes, the amount of work that they did not just in like those prime years, but in the pre-fame years is astronomical. Uh, you know, there's the whole idea of 10,000 hours uh, being what it takes to make someone a success. They probably put in double that before they actually broke. I would be willing to bet, Yeah. which is, you know, nobody does that these days. It's mind blowing. Um, so, so yeah, sorry. I feel like I cut. Oh, you I have off a question, real quick. I've never yeah. seen those cartoons. Are they like the oh, early man. songs, or a mix of early and late, or they're a mix of early and late? Okay. And um, they're, I mean, they're worth checking out. I, I, I don't mean to over diss them, <laughs> um, but you know, <laughs> they're they're quite wonderful in 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 the sense that they're they're feature stories for the music, you mm-hmm. know, and so yeah. they would be very short. Um, and you would get to have these bite-sized pieces of the, the songs would be played in full, you know, the storyline was pretty flimsy and it would be, it would be used to hold together the two songs, which might be, I don't know, help and ticket to ride. Or, um, I think I want to hold your hand and I saw her standing there may have been a pair. I'm not sure, uh, at this remove, but, um, 
<laughs> you know, they're, they're silly at a certain level, but at another level, they're showcasing the music, which, you know, John Lennon told us that is all that is ultimately going to matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long did you the know. did the cartoon last for? Because I know it was only a U.S. thing at first. A couple seasons, I think. Because um, then it went to syndication, I, and that's when you got like the later stuff on like on subsequent reruns. Correct? Like, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. it 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 was barely two seasons. Um, it didn't really it didn't really last all that long. And of course, you know the monkeys came along, and uh, and you had all sorts of competition the banana splits mm-hmm. and put a certain point which I, I actually really like the banana splits i knew the banana splits before the beatles <laughs> you know i mean that but they were it adds up you you were a kid so that's right yeah, yeah. so what you, your your parents were obviously beetle fans like you no, said no not at all oh okay because when you said you had a beetle shelf oh did you mean that at the store no that was the beetle shelf at the library at the library okay okay yeah i mean there wouldn't be all of those books would wouldn't have really been available uh, in any store during that period for mm. the most part. You know, they would have a couple of the main titles, but you know, my dad has always been a lover of libraries. I was with him last week in Texas and he's still looking up things he's going to get from the library. You know? <laughs> um, and uh, you know, if it's not on my phone, I really don't want it at this point, but um yeah, it, no, he just did what he did as a, you know, in the same way that when I had to write a paper on Vietnam, you know, a couple of years later, he went and got the Vietnam books, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, which were there were more Vietnam books at that time. Makes sense. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, of course, especially in the late 70s. Right. When yeah. you had all of this analysis and reanalysis, et cetera, and a lot of feature films. But um, now that was just his reaction to what you do when you want to learn more about something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what was the what was the music in your house aside from Beatles? My mother really didn't enjoy music. Um, uh, she was a reader. Um, no need to apologize for that. Uh, my father liked classical music, um, but he is an extraordinary Beatle fan now. He sees them through my eyes, mm-hmm. you know, and so he thinks a lot about uh, about music. And, and Did he and get the into them through it, your fandom, like, or through watching you? Oh, absolutely. In fact, one of my favorite uh, childhood memories um, – Get ready for some irony. My favorite childhood memories was when I had pneumonia. Um, Who among us? Yeah, I mean, I mean long it's, for the just days. A, it's a good time disease, really. And, um, and I've actually since had it maybe four or five times. I'm kind of susceptible to it, which is another reason to stay indoors. Right. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, but um, I had pneumonia. I think it was seventh grade. So it would have been after this discovery moment, I guess. It had to have been. And it was when um, the rock show film uh, debuted. uh, But before it debuted as rock show, I think it was, what was it called? Wings Over the World, maybe? Wings Over the World, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I had been so busy just consuming the Beatles that I hadn't given a lot of time to uh, some of the other music, right? So uh, Beatles music even, mm-hmm. you know, so um, we started buying a lot of solo records during that. I was, I think I missed a month of school. I was quite sick. And so we got Imagine and we got Wings Greatest, which had just come out. And um, not long after that, Back to the Egg. 
and George Harrison had an album in 1979. So mm-hmm. I felt like I was involved in something, you know, it's yeah. happening in the time. But it it all sort of got sparked by it became sparked by that that special. And because he sort of stayed home with me, uh, you know, shall be damned for one month. We really bonded over that. It was it was wonderful. That's Aww. super cool. I feel that's like really that's sweet. a really different uh, story as far as, you know, most I'm of the time it's parents it's, love the Beatles yeah. and they have them on and kids just listen to them and it's just part of their life. Yeah. But you actually introduced sort of, I guess not introduced, but created a love in your parents or at least your father yeah, so, for the Beatles. Yeah. So my father would have been uh, 31, I guess, in 1964. And, uh, you know, he was really outside of the, the demography. Mm-hmm. Right. Know, pretty well outside of it if you think about it yeah, yeah. for sure uh, so you know um he had just was about to start his career at shell and so it wasn't it wasn't something of interest or import to him mm-hmm. you know he, just he, sh- he was aware it was happening shook his fist at he, the youths <laughs> no no he didn't he, no i mean he was uh, i'm just kidding <laughs> he was a he was on a track to become a college professor uh he was working on his phd at the university of kansas and and then show came a Colin and he, I think he thought it'd be good to get paid. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Generally is sometimes. Yeah. I mean, people nice. tend to have that reaction, Yeah, <laughs> but how cool to, uh, to find something that the two of you can, uh, can relate to and communicate on. That was your discovery, you know, like that's such a, a different unusual thing. Like for me, uh, you know, my parents were never, they were, they, it's not that they disliked the Beatles. They were just like, they had, one Beatle album. They had Abbey Road. That was it. Um, and when I got into them, it was always like, well, yeah, they're they're good and all, but this you're into it this much? Okay. I don't. <laughs> we don't get that. Uh, so I think that made me want to get into it more. And I think you know a lot of times when you rebellion. get that pushback on something, it makes you become a of course, bigger rebellious fan. Rebellious engagement. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like we were laughing recently. Uh, I say recently. This was a while ago. Uh, I'm a really big Monkees fan, and I'm a, as particularly a big fan of Michael Nesmith's solo work. And I can specifically remember watching the Monkees as a kid and my mom going, oh, well, the one with the hat, nobody liked him. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's just so mean. Because she said the same thing about John Lennon. You know, he was weird. Nobody liked him. Mm-hmm. Everyone liked Paul. John was just weird and mean. But that became my favorite Beatle and my favorite Monkey. So... It's that yeah that Your rebellious mom just streak. Knows the wrong people. That's, that's true. All. <laughs> that's her fault. Yeah, you know we. I just I lived in a very different space. So you know while while the Beatles were very important to me, and I'm thinking about them a lot, and I'm reading every book. Again, there aren't that many, but um, and I, I would never be doing any of this if it weren't for Mark Lewis, and you know is mm-hmm. just been amazing, and uh, you know he changes the entire field with the recording sessions book. I mean. There is no field without that book. For sure. We're not we're not probably not even talking about this right now. It he creates just as the Beatles did, I think he creates before and after moments. But I lived in a house, you know, where a home rather, whatever you want to call it, where we would we would sort of share these engagements. So while I had my Beatles interest and it consumed a lot of time, the other thing we did a lot of was read. And so I was reading probably a lot of books, um, maybe even I shouldn't have been. Uh, that my parents were into, mm-hmm. you know, and so we were always pushing the envelope and doing a lot of reading. Well, I think that also kind of landed you where you are now. Like you're a person who likes to consider things and think about things and then talk about them and present your thoughts in book form now. Like 
that you were reading books and comprehending information on a your parents level at a young age like that it's not surprising that you produce what you produce now yeah it makes yeah, sense I, sure and to, to answer your 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 question earlier i think my end game is when i finally feel like i've i've captured the vision right i when i feel like i've gone into the space and i i feel what i'm trying to feel inside that space that's where i'm trying to go to mm-hmm. you know so that you feel the rush of energy the ideas behind the inspiration all of it coming together um i feel like i get close but that's that's what i'm aiming for yeah and that's why jason and i worked on this new thing about all things must pass and labor was to try to to get into the space you know here 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 is here are two guys one who is just um who knows he's in the breakup of the greatest band in the history of the earth right and the other guy breaks up every band he's ever with <laughs> almost preemptively right mm-hmm. <laughs> or they break up with him so um it's interesting to to try to follow them for a year and understand the, that space yeah a little more with a little more depth yeah i'm i'm curious i think this is probably a much bigger question for a much different episode of probably a much different podcast um as beetle fans you know, there's such a continued uh, timeline with all four of them and uh, and Eric Clapton. And I think as his public perception changes, I wonder how that's going to affect uh, his perception within Beatle fan lens. And does that rub off on the individual Beatles at all? You mean in terms of Clapton? Yeah. Um, and when you say his perception, do you mean like his recent missteps or? Yeah, well, like like that and how people are now kind of looking back at, uh, you know, the rants in the 70s, you know, the racist comments that, you know, like a lot of times those things happen and then they just get, you know, swept under the rug of time. And oh, I think it's now... just Eric and his cocaine. <laughs> It's yeah. Fine. You know, yeah, yeah. And now as 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 I think there's a lot less tolerance for that and you know when you compile it with current missteps people are kind of going ugh. And then just today I saw a video from uh 2002 of of him and McCartney talking uh before a show and McCartney's telling him, you know, teach showing him the chords for freedom. And uh you know and my thought is, well I mean Paul probably remembered everything that happened and it went on and you know does that you know? Does that change the viewpoint of of how they you know, of their tolerance of those relationships? I guess. I don't. Does he? Yeah. They, they did a lot of drugs. <laughs> like, sure. do they remember? <laughs> Are we sure? Yeah, I don't know that they do. And you know, I I'm very careful, uh, and I think we should increasingly be careful. You mentioned the Hulu special or the Hulu series, and he does have a lot of historical missteps in it. It's charming. Uh, the isolations are wonderful. Um, and, and there are a few new, I believe, accurate tidbits we collect along the way, right? Like the Edith, Edith Piaf moment, mm-hmm. for example. But, you know, beyond that, I, I think we have to be very careful not to quote too much from the testimony now. For sure. You know, take Get Back, for example, right? The Get Back Project. You know, there's going to be a lot, and we, we know this later this year, there'll be a lot of reanalysis of 
you know, were they really that miserable, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they'll be, re you know, probably, certainly McCartney will probably be positing new perspectives of, of that experience. Mm -hmm. But the, the commentary, the testimony they provided in 1969 and 1970 should be the overarching uh, discussion. Mm -hmm. Right. When they remembered things, when the stress feel still felt acute, when when they remembered that one guy quit the band, yeah. you know, during that period, uh, those recollections um, should reign supreme. Um, I was talking to Ethan Russell recently about this, and he said, you know, people need to know that when my camera wasn't on or Michael Lindsay Hogg's cameras weren't on, they weren't together. Mm. Yeah. You know that he said seriously. If 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 they weren't being photographed with still imagery or can or, or moving pictures, they were not, you know, doing anything. They were playing for the camera, but they would retreat like boxers. Not that they were fighting all the time, but they would just go do their own thing. Mm -hmm. That's what human beings do who've known each other for a damn long time. For sure, for <laughs> sure. You know, so I, I get that. Yeah. Um. So I, I think we have to be careful. Uh, with with how we use this information. Um, but fortunately, we have, on the other hand, we have, you know, a Mark Lewison or uh, a really great writer about the solo years, Chip Mattinger, who, you know, will go find some data and really test it. Mm -hmm. You know, so we have places to go where we can get good information to use. Uh, but it's really what's happening then that matters, not how they look about it years later. Not mm -hmm. that they can't provide color to the story, right? So going back to this question about Clapton, I don't know that history is going to be great to Eric Clapton. Yeah. Um, I, I think all of his breaking up of bands one after the other, I mean, Blind Face, my favorite one, they're about to do their first live show, and he's thinking, I can't be with these guys anymore. <laughs> they have one <laughs> album, and he's already thinking about quitting them, right? Yeah. You know, I, I, I think that his serial uh, preemptive breakups with uh, his musical collaborations in, in these key moments in his life are important. Um, you know, I think history is going to show that the most important guitarist is Jimi Hendrix and not Eric Clapton during this period. Yeah. Um, you know, Eric uh, has been very honest about the fact that a lot of times, you know, he wasn't inspired. He wasn't, you know, the... He wasn't capturing lightning in a bottle all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't I don't know that history is going to be very kind to him. I think it will always be kind to the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, but they loom so large um, that it would be hard to be uh, to be anything otherwise. For sure. So I don't know about Eric. And uh, I, I don't even know if these, you know, his silly remarks about COVID last year um, are going to matter much. You mm -hmm. know, people are going to discover them in different ways. The Beatles are too omnipresent. You can't not discover them, right? You don't, in fact, it's easier to discover them now than when I was watching an independent channel in Houston in 1977, right? Right. It's yeah. much easier now, you know, and, and when a kid discovers them today, and I get to meet these kids all the time because they're 18 and they come to our university and they're taking the Beatles class. I'm like, why are you here? They said, because I can't not be here. I got to be here. <laughs> yeah. You know, one young woman went to our white album conference I held here two years, three years ago, and she's now taking all my classes next year. She's 18. You know, she wants to minor. She wants to create her own minor in rock and roll. She's going to use the one we have. Wow. She has her own vision. 
And, you know, the answer when you get a student like that is we're going with your vision. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah, sure. That's um, amazing. You know, so, um, uh, but I, I think you bring up a great and interesting question with, uh, with somebody like Clapton. And we could go down all sorts of lists and see people who are probably going to be harder to get on the range of people thinking about these things mm-hmm. as time passes. Yeah, I, uh, I will for sure be intrigued to see how that kind of progresses over time. Cause I feel like, you know, it, it, his first, he, he had his first thing of comments, you know, last year, and then he popped up on a song with Van Morrison. And then there was another comment. And then I think that was like in February or March. And then it was like Clapton announces us tour dates in new Orleans. And it, like everyone in town was like, Oh God, <laughs> really? That's our first concert back is Clapton. Come on. Yeah. So, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be interesting. Yeah. And I think, you know, you said you think the, the sort of COVID com- comments will not be a huge deal, but I think it's part of a bigger picture. Yeah. You know, like it it puts him – he's putting himself back in the spotlight by making – like he could just shut up and just be <laughs> Eric Clapton for the rest of his life and just coast and be fine. Yeah. But no, you have to like – he has to open his mouth and make these comments. And then that makes people go like, oh, you didn't know he was like hell or is hella racist? Look at this. And it like sort of opens up all this stuff about him. And it's like, Eric, you could just be quiet. Like you don't have to, <laughs> right? So it, sure. it's like that's one part of like a larger picture of all of that. Yeah, right. There. Yeah, none of that stuff helps. But yeah. you know, I mean, these guys are also like McCartney. They're victims of living happily for them long lives, right? You know, yeah. they're they're living a long time. Hope I die before I get old. <laughs> really, it didn't happen in their cases, right? Yeah. Or Mick, or amazingly, Keith Richards, who's had his blood changed twice. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's remarkable that w- what we're seeing are artists who are living a long time. Mm-hmm. I got knocked around a little bit last year by uh, a couple of readers who thought I was too nice t- about McCartney 3. Um you know, but unlike some other recent albums, I found things I really could enjoy on yeah, that record. Same. Um, that record was all... great, and those people can get wrecked. <laughs> yeah, sure. But, that had... but look, we're we're thoughtful people. That's not always true with Paul's albums, and for sure. You know, um, here and other people complain about the quality of his voice. And again, this is an artist who's had the benefit of living. He's nearly eighty, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. that's a hell of a thing, and. You know, you either are willing to take the journey with them or you're not. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm still on, you know, I'm still getting on the tram. I'm right. Now. I'm so glad to hear you say that. Cause that is an argument that just, uh, gets in my craw so hard. We are like, Oh, his voice. It's terrible. It's not terrible. People do that though. Right. It's, I mean, like, voices, uh, you're probably on some of these face Facebook groups. Uh, oh, I think Ken. I'm on like 50 of them, Ken. but I'm, uh, I'm on many of the John Lennon groups and they always want to talk about his weight. Yeah. You know, and it's so bizarre. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and so p- some people want to argue, well, it's because he's on this macrobiotic diet. Other people, you know, they start wanting to blame Yoko, which is of course. absurd. Of course. You know? Um, and I finally just wrote one day, I said, look, you know, he's a human being. Maybe he had an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what to call it in 1978 or whenever. Yep. Um, you know, but why is that more important than, than the music? And I, I, you know, right. I stopped going down the road, uh, 
I'm interested in what Paul can do with his voice now. Yeah. I'm interested in like, what is he creating at 80 years old that, you know, is still more passionate than, you know, guys half his age. Like it's about that moment. How about that moment in the Hulu special where he plays a new song he'd been working on? Did you get that? I haven't gotten that far yet. No. Well, I, I, uh, keep watching for that reason. Um, I've talked to a few people who've speculated, maybe it's from the, uh, the Broadway musical he's supposed to be authoring mm-hmm. or composing uh, for the, uh, the Christmas. It's a wonderful life. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and it may be, but you know, immediately you hear it and it's like, it's immediately, it's, it's a, it's an instant classic, right? right. The same way <laughs> you hear in my life and you think, well, that's a great song. There's mm-hmm. no argument here. It's it's just an amazing, immediately arresting piano riff. Yeah, the, I, I I do remember. There's a bit where on um where he's going through while my guitar gently weeps, and they just isolate drums and and the bass track, and he just suddenly riffs a whole different vocal melody. That's like I want to hear more of that. Like develop that, please. That is really cool. Like just off the top of his head, just a little nugget of genius for you. Like it's incredible. I immediately. Yeah, I immediately went to the uh, the rock band stems and edited it to try to make it sound the same way. <laughs> nice. And really, you know, and I thought this is a great series. No matter how many times he's flubbing this historical nugget or that historical anecdote, it doesn't matter. I rushed out and played the music for sure. You know, it's a win. Yep, yep. That's what it's for. So, man, I I love it. I'm so glad to hear. Honestly, what at you're 80, here. like we should all be so lucky to be like half as cool, uh, half as charming, <laughs> <laughs> and coherent. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah, just I mean, like uh, writing bangers, like sliding. <laughs> yeah, like dudes write rocking, writing harder rock songs than like half of the '90s bands that I listened to when I was a teenager. <laughs> like, this is great. I love it. So good. Well, well, and when you see him, you know, when you see him, uh, I guess the last time he played was in 2019. When you see, you know, when you see him, it's typically what that Les Paul he picks up and he starts, you know, ripping off solos. He's just showing you that he can do that it. he can do it. Yep. <laughs> like, you know, and, and I get that. And it's so easy for him, you mm-hmm. know, because it is right. It's the because it is the thing, you know, like two and a half hours into a show encore two, time for helter skelter. That's superhuman <laughs> skill, you know, like anyway. Well, and he's playing the Epiphone Casino. Yep. And he's still on that <laughs> casino, which every time he pulls it out, I'm just like, oh, it makes my heart so happy. It's like he only has like three guitars. I think he's got like the casino, the Les Paul, and now that telly that he's playing all, taking all the pictures of for uh, McCartney 3. Uh, and the Texan. And that yeah. Texan. That, it's the same ones that he's had for years. Like, I love that. That one. That's yeah. the, yep. Oh, I noticed. I noticed. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's go ahead and shift gears and talk about our song for the week, shall we? Let's do it. Coming in this week at number 162 is Another Girl. For I have got another girl, another girl, making me say that I've got nobody but you. But as from today, well, I've got somebody that's new. Ain't no fool, and I don't take what I don't want for I have got another girl, another girl. She's sweeter than all the girls, and 
February 1965 while Paul was on holiday in Hammamet, Tunisia. I think that's how you pronounce it. Hammamet? Okay. I think that's, that's it. Uh, skipping out on Ringo's wedding, may I ask? Um, Another Girl was written as a uh, track for the Beatles' upcoming second film at the time called Eight Arms to Hold You, but eventually retitled Help. Now, in his biography many years from now, Paul told author Barry Miles that the house he was staying in had a magnificent tile-covered bathroom with a sunken tub and acoustics that were perfect for singing and songwriting. Now, mind you, uh, this trip was arranged for him to be a guest of the British government in Tunisia, and writing songs while in a luxury bathroom as a guest of your country it appears the boys come a long way from Forthland Road indeed. Now, while there's never been any confirmation as to whether this song was autobiographical or not, his relationship with Jane Asher and its openness and complications uh, have been explored numerous times, so the idea of him actually having another girl isn't totally out of bounds. Uh, the band learned and recorded the song in the studio on February 15th, following work on Ticket to Ride, and after rehearsing the song, the band completed the basic track in one take. Uh, following vocal overdubs, George spent time overdubbing guitar leads, including a part at the end of the song. The following day, however, a decision was made to remove George's lead guitar parts, and Paul performed a whole entire lead guitar track throughout the song, including the lead riff that concludes the end of the song. Uh, the track was featured in the film Help, with the band miming the track on a rocky beachside, swapping instruments, mugging for the camera, with Paul at one point famously strumming a bikini-cad blonde in lieu of a guitar. Uh, it's a fantastically shot clip, uh, kind of a proto uh, prototype music video, more than likely a visual precursor that carried some weighty influence on videos that would be a part of the Monkees a year later. And of course, for those who know, uh, obviously lampooned by the Ruddles uh, for the song Ouch. Um, the band never performed this song live, <laughs> but it finally Sorry. got its concert debut from Paul in 2015 on his Out There tour. So, why do I have another girl at 162? So, I think this is kind of an unappreciated Beatles tune. Uh, it's hard for some of the tracks on Help to stand out because they're surrounded by some real heavy hitters. I mean, Help, Ticket to Ride, and Yesterday on that album, those are career-defining songs for any band, and they've just got three on one album. Um, and then Help, the film, tends to get overlooked all the time in favor of Hard Day's Night, so the deck's kind of stacked against the like lesser tracks or lesser-known tracks. Um, I think Paul's hitting this great stride in this period, writing songs that are a little more R&B influenced, have a bit more groove to it, and every song he comes up with seems to just be getting better and better and better. I think this song is the, the song that She's a Woman wanted to be. It's got incredibly similar DNA, but I think it's better performed, it's better written, better recorded. Uh, it pulls you in from the top by starting with the vocal hook, which is a great trick Paul likes to use. Uh, you've got three-part harmonies that come in and out of the chorus. Those are fantastic. Uh, and those are different from the usual three-part harmonies in that John's handling the higher part. So it's a different sounding Beatle three-part harmony. Uh, and it's in a great range for John where his vocal's really strong in that harmony. Um, I love the key change in the bridge. It's unexpected as far as the key they go to, but it's super sneaky the way it kind of just arrives there with no big transition or fill. It's just kind of a sneaky, seamless move, which is really smart. Paul's guitar playing, while maybe not his best work uh, in his full career, um, creates catchy riffs throughout the whole track that are memorable and hooky. And vocally, he just sounds cool. There's something about his delivery here and kind of throughout this record. And I don't know if maybe it's he's, he's hitting that like kind of stoned cool era, but he gets a little bit of vocal fry in his work in, uh, in, in his in his delivery here uh, that just gives him this kind of cool vibe. 
Uh, overall, I think it's a really stronger song than it gets credit for. I think if this was a single for another band in 1965, this is a chart-topping a chart hit for that band. So my thoughts on Another Girl. Ken, I throw it over to you, my friend. <laughs> sure. Um, well, I, I do feel differently about it. Um, I, I think it's, it, it, it almost sounds too good to be true in, in many ways because Paul is a virtuoso he is he's at the height of his powers in terms of uh not the height but he's certainly on this upper trajectory that we've been speaking of tonight you know he has he is the best singer for any band between i don't know 65 66 and at least 82 probably mm-hmm. to 1982 um and and i think we would have extended that further if the quality of his output had been maintained throughout the 80s yeah. um he uh, you know, he can do so many things with his voice, as you just noted, uh, all these different looks he's able to create. Um, he is so supremely confident in his playing that uh, while I've not heard the original Harrison recordings, uh, you know, Paul is very confident in his ability to, you know, outmatch them uh, and, and play better. You, you know, know they're wonderful. Were, were George's, they're wonderful riffs. Do you know were, were George's parts wiped or did they just do another track with them i don't know i i do think they were wiped but i don't know i I think they may have just been wiped i don't know that they survived you know we'll have to wait till giles puts out uh the help box (laughs) the help box set you know um and you do mention this this album is is such an important transitional record because you know dead ahead is rubber soul right and uh um there are other weaker songs on this record <laughs> uh like you know in my opinion this one and the night before and and uh you like me too much which even oh, though it has yeah. that, that wonderfully well played george martin piece at the beginning that little ditty uh i find that one tough to to swallow for sure you know in these same these same sessions produced uh, you know i'm down and i've just seen a face so uh in fact mccartney's range at this point is the big story, you know, mm-hmm. that he's doing, I've just seen a face I'm down and uh, he's playing, you know, that molten lava, heavy metal on ticket to ride, you know, and then he's got yesterday. So he's just everywhere yeah. uh, at once. So it's, it's a really powerful statement by him. Um, you know, in the Beatles short career, they were in various moments having to come up with new material and I, I felt like help uh, of the the features was the weakest one in terms of the, the material they needed to come up with to fill out uh, the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? You make a great point. Any other band, and this is at least a top 10 hit uh, in, in 1965. I, 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 I believe, too, that that's true. Um, you have me thinking more deeply than I thought I would going in, though. I'll tell you why. <laughs> Uh, and I, I mean, this is a compliment, um, because, you know, I've, I suppose in my head, it's always just gone into the, the part of the ledger on filler songs that needed to be written to fill out a soundtrack. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about Jane Asher, um, really this is, Paul is now going in full swing, uh, on his doubts about that relationship. And he's been of the, the many, you know, most of the time he is not very open, right. <laughs> uh, but he's been quite open about, about 
the difficulties they had, you know, I mean, especially the 65, he like all, almost all of his songs on rubber soul are about that relationship. Sure. I'm looking through you Uh, earlier things we said today. There's Mm -hmm. a darkness there that is very substantial. Um, You know, so Paul is, is really thinking a lot about that relationship and, and why it's not working. You said that they had an open relationship. Maybe we'll know more with Mark's next volume, but, you know, I've always thought of it as Jane believing they had more commitment than Paul was in, you know, exercising. But um, his frustration, you know, a quote that I use in class every semester is one that I find fascinating. When Paul said, I have always had difficult relationships with women. Hmm. Uh, I I just, that blows me away because... He's Beetle Paul, <laughs> you know, um, but and he's so pro woman in his work quite often. Um, although, right. I mean, there are, there are plenty of, of misnomers. If you want to, if you want to start digging into the, the songs, for example, my students love to point out that in, we can work it out. Right. Paul is not optimistic in that song. He, he peddles that lie in the Hulu series. Mm-hmm. He is um, he's the difficult one. John is being, you know, honest about that life is tough, has fussing and fighting, et cetera, et cetera. Paul is saying that if you fight with me, there's only one way you're going to be successful. And that is if you choose my side, (laughs) (laughs) try to see it. And (laughs) and then we'll, we'll go to bed and say good night and we'll feel good again in the morning because you acquiesced to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, even from an early age. Yeah. From an early age, you have songs. I mean, and this is one of them. Uh, for I have got another girl, right? I mean, he is explaining what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, you are replaceable. Yeah. <laughs> How about um, one that we have a lot of fun with in the classroom situation is, uh, my gosh, uh, I'll follow the sun, mm-hmm. right? This is not some happy-go-lucky hippie character with a guitar flung about <laughs> his back, right? This is not that guy. This is the guy who will be so cruel that one day you will wake up and he will not be there. Yeah. And you won't know if he's been killed by urban terrorists <laughs> or, uh, you know, hit his head and is, has amnesia in some, you know, French quarter bar, you know, you're, you're not going to know because he's gone. It's like one of the most torque. It's, it's a terrible thing to say to somebody, right? Yeah. This is what I'm going to do to you. One day you'll look. And I'll be gone. Right. You know, it's like Freebird, except mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, no, and I often play that in class and we talk about Freebird, you know, which is obviously making a very different pitch to the woman in that song. This is a threat. Yeah. You know, so I'm, as I said, I'm rethinking this just in this conversation and how I might talk about it. Uh in the coming fall semester, because it really is um, sharing some of these, these same very similar kinds of expectations. I'm looking through you, you know, I'm looking at the next thing. You're not cutting it Mm -hmm. right. One day you're going to wake up. I'll be gone for, I have got another girl. These uh, one day we will remember things we said today. Mm, yeah. You know, and there's almost this suggestion you can interpret it in a way where she's no longer there. 
Um, right. I mean, there's there is a sort of sinister quality to some of these songs mm -hmm, for sure. Uh, and John has his too. I'll cry instead. You know, what am I going to do when you break my heart? I'm going to break hearts all around the world. I'm going to be a serial heartbreaker. That's what's going to happen when you mess with me. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, these are very high emotions uh that they they take into 66 and they're also there very term. much like the emotions of like the average 23 and 24 year old idiot guy sure. too yeah sure and and you know when you look at 1966 uh certainly later 65 right there is a shift you know songs like drive my car um certainly norwegian wood you know they're they're starting to day tripper right they're talking about a woman now that they're respecting because of her independence. Mm -hmm. So their minds sh is, are definitely shifting in late 65. Thank goodness. Right. <laughs> right. They're moving. No, they're moving away from this, you know, do it my way or get out uh, kind of approach. It's this kind of admiration they have for, you know, the new woman, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then you can draw a nice line to daytime, nighttime suffering and, and all of these lovely tunes, but mm -hmm. right, right now with this song, and, and again, you've, you've got me thinking about it differently. Um, I've always felt it was kind of weak. Uh, to me, it's sort of like what goes on, you know, it's got this oh, wow. kind of these loose guitar riffs um, that I find them being less successful with, you know, the Beatles are not a jam band. Yeah. Right. The Beatles are very precise. You know, I mean, we have fun in class when we listen to the original rock and roll music, right? Which is this loose, soulful thing. And then the Beatles, it's like, you know. Yeah, it's an arranged <laughs> uh, thing. It's yeah. lockstep. It's an arranged thing. Yeah, like Day Tripper, right? Day Tripper, those notes go a certain place. Right. You know, um, so uh, I, I suppose those have always felt like outliers, too, when, when they're sort of engaging rockabilly a little bit. Mm -hmm. But you know, that doesn't make it bad. And the cool thing about the Beatles is, you know, um, for example, I've, I've been made to answer for this on stage at Beatles Fest more than once, weirdly. <laughs> uh, and that is that I really don't enjoy on any level, Mr. Moonlight. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I just do not, but it, what's cool about it is I recognize that there are some people it's like, they're one of their top five favorites. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, who, I don't want to bash it so much that I would ever even dent their, their, their love for it. You know, music is such a highly experiential and subjective experience, right? right. It's a really redundant sentence, but it's, it's yeah, Jonathan, kind of thing. like how, how, how dare you rank these songs? You monster. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, shut this thing down. Shut it down. Like 30 rock, right? Shut it down. Shut it shut down. It down. <laughs> so, well, Mr. Um, Moonlight was, uh, was 221 of 223 for me. Starting at least favorite to most favorite. Um, are you allowed to tell me what two twenty three is? Oh yeah, I mean these are episodes like like our first episodes. Two twenty three and two twenty two were "Come Give Me Your Dinahand" and "See Leap Deek. and then uh, "Mr. Moonlight." And I got a lot of flack for "Mr. Moonlight." People who genuinely love that song, and that's I mean we shouldn't have it. I mean they should have seen the wisdom. They were just so exhausted, though, right? But they should have seen the wisdom of including "Leave My, Leave kitten, my kitten Alone." Biggest mistake. It in is the a catalog. great rocking tune. <laughs> George Harrison is breaking off some amazing licks. John's doing his his wonderful, you know, front rock and roll front man voice. Yep. It's just beautiful stuff. It's got that almost that steely sound, mm -hmm. you know. It's um, you can hear brilliant. in songs like "You Can't Do That." It's just amazing. Yeah, for sure, for sure.
How are you feeling on this one, my love? Um, so an old friend of mine used to say all the time, and I think there there might have been a bit of uh, trolling to this, but I always found humor in it, <laughs> that there is a fine line between the Beatles and the Monkees. <laughs> and I think that this song is that fine line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, this sounds like the Monkees. <laughs> Um, I could hear Mickey Dolan's ripping this. In yeah, in a great way. Like yeah. I, I like the monkey. Like, I have no problems with monkeys. I love it. Um, so that's my sort of like funny take on the song. Is like this is that line where the the Beatles and the monkeys meet for me in a in a great way. Um, and Ken, I'm like, I'm I'm kind of with you on like the sinister aspect of this song. Like, uh, I, I kind of feel like it's got some. Um, the delivery of his vocal, it's really got some, uh, and I hate saying this, but I couldn't, I can't think of a better way to say it, but it's got some real big dick energy <laughs> like, <laughs> of just like, I, look, I got someone else and she's better than you. So just get in like, line or, just or don't. Like, but don't get in line. He's like, we're, we're done. Like it's, we're, we're over. There's someone else. I'm moving on. Mm-hmm. Deuces. Like, I'm out. <laughs> and it, it, I I think I'm so used to, like, Paul's, like, his campy songs and him being, you know, Chipper Paul. Even if it is a sinister song, like, he he'll, he's really good at doing, like, a very chipper, happy version of a sad or kind of intense song. Um, and this is just, it, it feels very, like, dry. Yeah. His delivery feels very, like, dry for me mm-hmm. in a good way of just like I don't care enough to like sing this super passionately just bye yeah. I'm like well damn that's that's intense Sorry. how did they last until 68 right right <laughs> I mean I, I did I, as I was researching this several things I found uh, made mention of Paul having a secret London apartment and I was like oh god for, for real Jesus Christ but, uh, yeah, there's like no remorse, no yeah. apologies, just I'm out, yeah. moving on, another girl, bye. Well, I think like you said, Ken, I think I think she maybe expected that he was maybe a bit more committed than he was. And uh, there's been ample uh, statements from him about the openness with which he viewed the relationship. Um <laughs> And, you know, I, and, you know, the other thing that you mentioned earlier was him kind of saying, you know, it's, it's my way or the highway in a lot of things. And we do kind of see examples of that throughout history with him. Like, for example, like Linda didn't always want to be in wings. And I think he kind of just was like, this is, you have to do this now. This is your thing now. Oh, you have to do this. I, I couldn't hear you. Did you say you want to be in wings? Great, great, great. You're in wings. <laughs> well, actually, did you say you, you want to host that's... a podcast with me? <laughs> Sure. In that special that we talked about, right, Wings Over the World, mm-hmm. they, they were those lengthy segments where she is being welcomed, coerced into the band. They're hard to watch at times. Even yeah. young me was like, wait a minute, she doesn't seem like she wants to do this. Yeah. So I, I think all of this is valid. Um, really like your point about the monkeys. Um, because they're the band that would have had a top five hit with it, I think, mm-hmm. almost certainly. You know what this song also does to me is it takes me out of uh, the high quality of their uh, their achievement 
You know, so many of these songs, you hear them, and they could exist. They could exist in 1920, I've Just Seen a Face, or 2020. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a classic song. And they're writing Gershwin. In fact, they're eclipsing Gershwin in terms of writing songs, you know, that eclipse time and place and genre. This doesn't. This sounds like the 60s. Yeah. You know, uh, there were a couple of the other uh, songs that were left... um, but if, if you've got trouble, um, and what and, was the uh, other one? Oh, God, uh, that means a lot. Thank you. Yeah. That means a lot, which actually I think is a better song than uh, Another Girl. Mm-hmm. It has an interesting lilt to it, but it sounds like the 60s to me. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the Beatles don't sound like the 60s. She Loves You. You know, I get a lot of disagreement about this, I'm sure. But to me... You know, that's just a classically created song that could exist anywhere. For sure. It might sound different with different levels of production, but, you know, it's a sentiment that certainly um, never dies, right? You know, the go-between, talking about love, does this person like me or not, you know, et cetera. All of this stuff, you know, we worry about and and piddle about with ad infinitum ad nauseum forever, right? Um, so so they, they have a certain kind of timelessness. This the night before, uh, they they sound like the '60s to me in the ways that Help is outclassing everything, right? right. In the way that Norwegian Wood, my God, is mm-hmm. outclassing all the other people who have a sitar in their songs, right? <laughs> it's it because it's it's a it works as a poem, Hell, right? Right, yeah. You know, so this sort of felt like it was a little bit. Um, I felt the gravity of the 60s there, whereas, you know, so often, 90% of the time, they're working on another plane that isn't tethered to time and space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that monkey, that's a great, that's a great metaphor. Yeah. um, Which I will now be stealing in classes forever. (laughs) Just plug the podcast. That's all I ask. (laughs) I'll plug the podcast and I will send you royalties from the classes. uh, (laughs) <laughs> making that Residuals. money sense i'm sure just like just a couple pennies in the mail <laughs> that's okay it adds up man it adds up over time right i know we always joke about how um if they ever like if anyone important ever hears this and there's like you know little songs peppered throughout i'm like oh yes they'll come after our tens of dollars <laughs> we've made from this podcast our tens of cents from anchors free ads <laughs> Uh, so how how are we feeling about 162 out of 223? Am I too high? Am I too low? Where would you put it, Ken? If you were ballparking a ranking on this, I feel like you might have it a little bit uh, closer to the end of the list. Absolutely. It would be in the 200s for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I'd have to see the list in its entirety um, because there are a lot of, lot of tough calls, right. You know, wild honey pie, where does that go? You mm-hmm. know, some love it, some don't, right. There's a whimsical quality about it. So, uh, I, it, it would be in the two hundreds for me. Okay. Okay. Julia, how are you feeling on this one? I kind of like it where it is. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm not sure I would have it exactly at this number, but, um, I haven't disagreed with a whole lot mm-hmm. of your rankings, um, That's good maybe... because we've got a Paul Linda thing going here. You got to you want to be a host of my podcast. You got to agree <laughs> gotta, with the rankings. Got to be on the same page. Um, maybe a couple back because there's definitely some that are behind us that I would move ahead. Sure, sure. 
Um, hmm. You know, it, but your whole list is weird. The way you've got Maggie May as the best Beatles song. So. <laughs> How do you know? Don't tell everybody. <laughs> uh, I, I really wish that like Wild Honey Pie was number one and then someone would burn our house down. <laughs> Honestly, I like Wild Honey Pie better than this song. I do too. I have it ranked higher. It's good. Yeah. We're still, no, we're still a ways away from Wild Honey Pie. I'm looking forward to diving into that one. Oh my gosh. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, it will be. Well, I think we're at a good consensus here then. Uh, I would like to put on an ask to Andrew Sandoval uh, to please have Mickey Dolenz record a cover of Another Girl. I think that would be fantastic. I would love to hear that. Um, it's time to get that on record. It yeah. is. It is. Well, before we let you go, Ken, can we do a few rapid fire questions? You bet. Awesome. Well, let's do it. Rapid fire number one, your favorite Beatles song. It can be of all time. It can be today. However, it's best answered for you. Happiness is a warm gun. Wow. Mm. Dark horse. I love it. Wonderful. Is that a dark horse? I feel like that's not a dark horse. I've never heard someone claim that as their favorite song, but I love that song, so I can totally get down with that. I don't find that surprising. Yeah? No. Okay. Uh, your least favorite. Wow. Um, it's it's probably Mr. Moonlight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm hitting forward. Every, you know, that that's that's the skipper every time do you even get every through, time do you get through do you get to the intro at least just to get that little bit of i want to get out before i want to get out before the organ yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's all we need is just exit before the i organ. don't want to be around to witness that yeah. <laughs> uh your favorite beatles album my favorite beatles album um and you know i talk about a subjective question but it's it's typically the white album okay uh, least favorite. Wow. Uh, just in, t- but I don't really even teach this one, but it's probably yellow submarine. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the Beatles were right. It should have been an EP, an extended EP like magical mystery tour, but George Martin put his foot down because it was his big payday. And he said, are you kidding? Yeah. I want my side. <laughs> you know, so, um, I put it, up with a I lot mean, of shit. That one. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably that one. Um, the others, every one of them, I think, is indispensable on this progress. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I I only rank Yellow Submarine that way because it's so strange with the soundtrack music. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I adore many of I. I, mean, I love Hey Bulldog. Right. The whole of side one is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, so it's probably that one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What's your favorite memory associated with a Beatles song? Mm. And it can be anything Beatle related. Sure. And this changes all of the time, but um, I mean, there are a couple, but I was giving a talk in a really small Pennsylvania town in the middle of nowhere, which could be a lot of places, right? <laughs> and I, I don't even remember the town, but I was we had driven over, it wasn't even that long ago here from Jersey. And, uh, my wife and I were just exhausted. And so I was thinking, why do I, you know, why did I say yes to this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, and this happens, you know, when you give enough talks, they had really done it up, you know, for us, when we were coming to this town, they had signs, you know, like we're driving in and we're like, and and my wife is saying things like, you better take this seriously. They have a sign. (laughs) There's a banner. 
you know, they don't even have a post office, but they have a banner for you, <laughs> you know, and uh, and we went in and the place was packed and it was uh, but and so I gotten the message, you know, you got to sell it tonight. Go. You know? <laughs> but but the, but the thing that really touched us is they said, but before you you give us your talk, you know, Dr. Womack. We want to bring out some of these local kids, and it was a kid playing the the uh, flute, a recorder, like a little guitar, and they were all like ten, and they did eight days a week, and it was fabulous, Aww. right? Nice. And you're thinking it's 2000, I don't know what, 2016 or whatever, and you're thinking, you know, they really worked hard and they hit it, you know, and they they killed this thing. Um, it really. You know, I choked up. It was just really powerful. That's awesome. That and I really, I brought it because I had to take those kids out. (laughs) I I didn't want their damn parents thinking that was the best thing that night. (laughs) So, I mean, I honored them by mopping the floor with Get wrecked. Yes. No, but but seriously, it was really heartwarming. (laughs) And it just, it reminds you, you know, just how powerful this material is. And Mm -hmm. I am, and then afterwards we were driving you know, however long back, three hours back to the shore that night. And uh, we were talking about, you know, one of John's last interviews when he was talking, I guess it was Playboy, right? In September, 1980. And uh, he was talking about how, you know, he didn't much care for eight days a week. (laughs) And I love thinking about that because a lot of people love eight days a week. I don't love it that much. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, I put it above another girl, certainly. Sure. (laughs) But um, what was interesting though about that is whenever I read that in, in that interview uh, with, who is it? David chef. I always think, wow, if he only got to be 45 and he could think, you know what? I still don't like eight days a week, but I love that. (laughs) But I love that other people love it. Yeah. And that while I don't like Paul with let it be, you know, I didn't write it to be religious, but it's really cool that other people get a different kind of value out of it. Right. Um, And, uh, it was just really moving to me to see these kids loving this song. Yeah. You know, and then destroying them. <laughs> <laughs> they deserved it. The little bastards. You know, I have to say like every time um, Jonathan plays with a, a band here in town, the Walrus, it's all Beatles songs. Um, and I often go to their shows and I have, I, I always love seeing the kids that know the songs. Like it, it just brings me so much joy to just like sit there and look around at like, Parents and kids singing the songs together, like mm-hmm. at the show you played at Old Airbnb Bar a couple of weeks ago. This um, dad and daughter come up, and they're like super cool dressed, like she's in her like little goth outfit, and the dad's in like sort of like a skater kind of outfit, and they're just like hanging out together and singing Beatles songs together, <laughs> and it was just the cutest moment, and it just watching them having this moment together and enjoying themselves, especially these days when it's hard to find joy sometimes is just, it's just the best thing. It's yeah. so great. I love to see it. For sure. No. And it's authentic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cause they don't know why I'm watching them. Right. They don't know that anyone's watching them. They're just enjoying the show and enjoying the songs and, you know, having a, having a moment of joy. Yeah. It's so great. And it, you know, it, it's, you know, when we, when we do those shows, it's always funny. Cause like, you know, you'll see parents that bring their kids out there and the kid has a Beatles shirt on. Maybe they're like, you know, eight or nine or, you know, something like that. And that's cool. But also, like, that's still the age where your parents are like, I bought you the shirt. Wear the goddamn shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's when you see the kids who are like 14, 15, mm-hmm. 
who are capable of buying their own clothes and dressing themselves, and they're out there with a Beatles shirt, and they know all the songs, and they're and they're ear to ear, you know, grinning, you know, hearing this music played live. Those are the ones where I'm like. You're on the right path there, kid. Like those are the ones I feel really good about. You, know? you could have yourself a podcast someday. <laughs> yeah. What Look a big me, world awaits you. <laughs> Peak physical condition right here. <laughs> Waiting for you. Oh man. Well, Ken, this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, you've got so much going on. Where can our listeners track down everything? You've got uh, the Everything Fab Four podcast. New episodes come out when of that? That's what day a week. Um, we'll start, uh, we finished our first season off, uh, with, um, our latest episode, um, who of course now I can't remember Richard Marks, Richard Marks, which was fantastic, fantastic Twitter follower as well. And then we start again. Um, we start up again in the fall. Lovely. Lovely. So we got a lot of exciting guests lined up and Folks can find that uh, wherever podcasts are sold. <laughs> sold. Sold. Yes. Good one. Yes. Um, or, or by our sponsor, salon.com. So it's, uh, it's fun, but uh, I sure have a lot more admiration for all the folks who do podcasts. The editing, you know, to do a, I usually do half an hour. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. What? Three it's, hours to edit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> On average. And then you've got yeah. you've got a slew of books that you've written. The most recent one is the John Lennon 1980, The Last Days in the Life, and then coming up uh, with the co-author, uh, the, the co-write with Jason Krupa, All Things Must Pass, uh, Harrison Clapton, and other assorted love songs. What are the best places uh, for our listeners to acquire your books where you get the most money? <laughs> Keep Jeff um, Bezos well, out of the equation if we can. Yeah, well, it's hard to because right. that's <laughs> probably you know, where we see most of our sales. Yeah. Okay. Quite frankly. But, uh, and of course in the, these COVID times, that's been, uh, the folks who've been able to get to us the easily, uh, sure. the easiest, you know? Yeah. If you can but, go uh, to a local bookstore and request it, do that. Yeah. That's know. right. Or there are a lot of wonderful indie book sites too, that have, that um, too. you know, the same abilities to bring, to bring books, uh, to folks homes. Yeah. <laughs> so, it may just take like five days instead of two. You'll survive. So, yeah. And what's and what's next right. for you? Plan Ken? ahead. Yes, plan ahead. <laughs> what's next? Ah. What's coming up next? Well, that'll have to be for another show. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna hold you to that because I got 161 more songs to do. <laughs> That's true. Well, and we'll be able to pick one based upon where I'm going next. Ooh, all right. So okay. it'll be, uh, but uh, we'll have to just stay tuned. Build a little suspense here. I love it. You I know, it. in a few more weeks or months or years, this will all be clear. I love decades. it. Oh, man. I'm so, I'm super excited about this. Love yeah, it. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's a big challenge out there, but I hope to meet it. Yes, That's man. I'm trying to meet it. I love this. I don't even know what we're talking about, but I'm in. We'll have to chat offline. So Whatever it is, plan. can I pre-order it now? Because I'm excited about it. We're gonna ven- not. We're going to Venmo you. I'm just going to Venmo you an open amount of money. <laughs> As a deposit towards whatever you're working you on. You are welcome to, in fact, do that. <laughs> Listeners, um, I will ex- Venmo Ken on our behalf. Yeah, no. Uh, and, you know, let's be honest. You know, I, it's it's wonderful to have an audience, but we don't do this for the money. I, no. I love it. And no. uh, I, I just, uh, 
you know, it's like that old poem, right? It, who who wrote it? Was it Wallace Stevens' 13 Ways at Looking at a Blackbird? You know, that's what we're doing. We're trying to find different ways to look at this art object, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what the Beatles are now. They're an art object. Yeah. Two of them happen to be alive, but they're an art object. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we shine different kinds of light on it uh, and, uh, you know, try different special effects to see different things inside the art object. But that's what we're doing. Yeah. You know, what a fantastic! And, that's a great way to talk to look at that. I yeah. haven't thought of that. Though. Well, you you guys should steal that. It's yours. Yeah. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Okay, cool. You take the monkeys. We'll take thirteen ways to look at a blackbird. I love it. Fair trade. There you go. Thank you. Thank you for Beautiful. the monkeys. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, Ken Womack, an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you so much for doing this with us. This has been a wonderful time. And where can everybody keep up with all your ongoings? What's the best way to follow you? Well, uh, my publicist uh, authors a wonderful newsletter uh, from my website, um, everythingfab4.com or kennethwomack.com. They go to the same place. Nice, nice move. Uh, and uh, there's a newsletter that, that has all sorts of information. We update it every two weeks, typically with the new release of the podcast, although it'll be a while. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get September for that. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, so folks can go there and... Uh, that's where we spill all the tea. Wonderful. Lovely, lovely. Well, Ken, thank you so much for joining us, man. And uh, we appreciate your time and look forward to uh, everything you got coming up in the future. So thank you so much for doing this. It's been a blast. Thank you. It's exactly the word I would use. I was. It truly has been. Ken Womack, everybody. How about that? So much fun. The man knows so much. Oh, my goodness. Lots of information. I kind of feel like I got took to school in a really good way. Which makes sense because he is a teacher. So, <laughs> <laughs> you nerd. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I've been out of college for a long time, but I want to go back and take his classes. Um, yeah, I wish that we had known that he was doing them online. Yeah. I wish that they could do like a hybrid. Mm, yeah. Mm. I wish these kind of things existed when I went to college. Otherwise, I wouldn't have wasted my time and money. Oh, for sure. On the degree you I have that I don't 100% use. 100% would have majored in the Beatles. However, <laughs> I mean, you never know how life changes. I, I may not have met you had oh, I had true. I not gone You would have been out being like way too cool for me. You know. I mean, I'm already kind of there. Most <gasps> Not true. <laughs> totally not true. You know that. So, friends, we hope you enjoyed that. What do you think about another girl at 162? Too high, too low, or right in that sweet spot where Baby Bear's porridge lives just right? I thought we were going to get away with that. Oh, baby, it never goes away. Let us know what you think about that. I can't get the, I I cannot get the the potential of how good it would sound had the monkeys done this song in 1966, Mm. 67. Like, first two records, like, young, like, Belton vocal from Mickey Dolan's. Oh, yeah. would've been, it would have smoked. That would have been an absolute jam. Ah, so let us know what y'all think about it, friends. Uh, you can let us know on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're not following us on those sites, we're on Facebook at... Ranking the Beatles. We are on Instagram at... Ranking the Beatles. And we are on Twitter at... Ranking Beatles. And as always, nowadays, you can find all things Ranking the Beatles... On our website at www.rankingthebeatles.com. <laughs> yeah, <Nice>. like that. <laughs> Ranking the Beatles. Dot com. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we hope you uh, have enjoyed it. If you are en- enjoying what we do, feel free to tell a friend. Uh, leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice. But only five stars. Preferably only a five-star review. 
Whoever that one person that gave us one star. So rude. I'm gonna have to Jay and Silent Bob it and four point eight because down. of some jerk face mm -hmm. that gave us a one star. Like anyone cares. Right. <laughs> Just don't listen if you think it's bad. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> she doesn't listen. <laughs> she thinks it's terrible. <laughs> anyway, that's all we got for this week, everybody. Thanks so much for joining. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. So stay cool until then. Uh, I am Jonathan. And I'm Julia. And this has been Ranking the Beatles. Adios. Bye, y'all.